Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Sonos is struggling. It's now time for Apple to make a move. Amazon dot and tab make their entrance. And all that happened in Chicago around Smart Kitchen with my guest, Mike Wallace from Perfect Company, all on this week's Smart Home Show. Hey everyone, this is Mike Wolf. Welcome to the Smart Home Show. Uh, I am excited. Uh, it's just a day or so away until I leave for Austin for the uh, South by Southwest 2016 event where I'm having uh, a Smart Home Mixer. Excited about that. I'll see some of you there. I, I love going to these events and talking to people who listen to the podcast. That's really fun. I'm actually also going to be recording a podcast in Austin with my good friend Richard Gunther of Home On. And uh, we'll probably maybe dual publish that into both of our podcast feeds. Who knows? We'll, we'll have to talk about it. Um, so that'll be fun. For this episode, I'm actually going to just do a quick recap of a couple of things that have happened in the broader connected home space and then play an, a conversation I had with Mike Wallace, not the famous Mike Wallace from 60 Minutes, the Smart Kitchen famous Mike Wallace. And yes, it is a Smart Kitchen centric topic uh, related to Smart Home. But I've just been so busy, and I had a really good time this past week at the Houseware Show in Chicago that I thought you might want to hear what happened at the Houseware Show around the in, the technology and what's happening in the kitchen. So that's kind of a little bonus interview uh, to be included in this podcast. So I hope you enjoy that. Mike's a really smart guy. Um, I felt like he had some of the most uh, observant and thoughtful opinions about what's happening in his space at my event in November. Um, and he also is really thoughtful about how he runs this business, which I appreciate because I think this is a tricky, any of these new markets are tricky. I think these are hard markets. And in retrospect, you know, these things are hard to do, but Mike has figured things out like, you know, getting below certain price points, uh, getting into the right channels and making products that don't obsolete themselves pretty quickly. These are things he's all thought through. And we talk a little bit about that on this show. So if you're interested, if you're an entrepreneur creating a connected product, you might just want to check out what Mike has to say as well. The first thing I want to talk about, because I didn't get a chance to talk about it last week, is the new Amazon products in the Amazon fam Amazon Echo family. They announced two products, the Dot and the Tap. You've probably read about these, probably heard about these. You may have heard other podcasters talk about them, but I just want to give my perspective. Um, and I think it's an interesting move by Amazon. It shows you why they have 500 or so job listings in the Echo side of things. That if you search your job site, you see around 300 for Alexa. This is by far their biggest investment they've made, I believe, in their own technology. I think it's going beyond what they did with the Kindle. I think it's going beyond what they did with the Kindle uh, Fire and tablets as well as their Fire TV. Because I think that they realize that they have something here. Um, that is unique, is differentiated strategy-wise. It's solid that they've 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 outmaneuvered outmaneuvered. They haven't outmaneuvered. That'd be weird. They've outmaneuvered Apple. They've outmaneuvered Google, 
and they realize that they have something interesting here. The dot is interesting to me, probably the more interesting of the two. For those of you who don't know what the dot and the tap is, I'll explain each. The dot is essentially the brains of the Echo, and it allows you to connect to other speakers. It also has its own internal small speaker. And it's like the Amazon Echo has uh, really good far field voice capabilities. And the more I talk to people who are in the know about that go, this is really one of the key things that Amazon is investing is, is far field voice capabilities because they want a device that can be in the home and pick up voice commands and, and recognize things that it needs to recognize uh, in noisy environments, in large rooms, in multi-room households, um, and just be able to recognize it well, this is a fixed, always listening device. This is important to know. The Amazon Echo and the Dot are always listening devices. They are always listening for a command. Which brings me to the Tap. The Tap is different. The Amazon Tap basically is Amazon's attempt to create an answer to the Bluetooth portable speaker market, but with a couple unique differences. One, it has Wi-Fi. Two, it has two dual. It has dual speakers, essentially creating a 360 degree sound unlike most Bluetooth speakers. And third, it has a button that you tap, hence the name tap, that allows you to engage with the voice commands. You can ask Alexa things. So it's different from always on, always listening devices like the Dot and the Echo in that you have to tap it. And you can imagine being in uh, at the beach or you can imagine uh, setting up uh, outside for a picnic and you have your Amazon tap with you and you want to tell Alexa to do something, uh, whether that is to tell, uh, order some food and have a, an Amazon drone drop it off at that picnic in 2023. That's probably a realistic scenario. Or if you want to uh, do something else with Alexa, you have to tap it. And this makes sense because you don't want an always listening device when you're going mobile, when you're going in public. Uh, that's, that is annoying. Sometimes my phone, my Google phone actually starts listening and ask me, asking me, what I said when I accidentally bump it uh, the wrong way, and it, it somehow engages the voice engagement side of things, and, and it, it wants to know what I have to say. That would be really annoying if you had an always listening device in public because it would always be asking you what you said. These are two new devices. Um, I think it's really, really interesting what we're seeing Amazon do here. Um, I think that you're just seeing a huge investment uh, from Amazon in their broader device plays around these these connected home devices and then of course to get alexa to be more pervasive um as you probably know um, they are working really hard with third-party device makers to get alexa into these devices i've talked to a few startups who are trying to get into the alexa program or contemplating getting into the alexa fund program where they would either take money or or something from amazon uh, technology expertise and get alexa into their devices and uh Amazon is actually very much interested in, in getting bigger and bigger deals here. I think that they've done a lot of little seed investments. Um, there's one company that was at my Smart Kitchen Summit that actually is a little re refrigerator-connected speaker that now is Alexa-enabled. The Tribi from Invoxia. Invoxia is actually a French company, and the Tribi is their connected speaker for the kitchen. That now is Alexa-enabled. So this is an ongoing effort for Amazon. Um, they are maneuvering quicker and faster and probably more deftly than Apple or Google at this point. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I, which leads me actually to my second story I want to talk about. 
Uh, it's actually uh, around Sonos and the struggles they've been having and uh, an idea I had for a post that I wrote. I wrote a post about it. So this past week, uh, this is the first time I've ever seen this happen. I think it's the first time they've actually had to do this. Sonos announced they are laying off some people. John McFarlane, the CEO, announced that you know they're, they are uh, sadly having to lay some people off. And they're going to now focus on two, their, two big areas of growth and technology development. First being paid streaming and the second being voice. And what's interesting in this post by John is he goes in uh, to and talks about Am- what Amazon has done with Alexa and Echo. I mean, that, after he says that they're going to expand and invest in voice, it's really the first thing that he talks about. He goes, we're fans of Amazon and what they've done with Alexa and Echo. Then he goes on to talk about Siri, Google, and Cortana. But he really talks about how Echo found a sweet spot in the home. And he says how it will impact how we navigate music, weather, and many, many things. So that's really interesting. Uh, this company, Sonos, which I believe was a pioneer in connected entertainment, really was the company that invented the category of wireless music streaming boxes in the home. I mean, really, uh, before them, there were companies maybe trying to do it, but they really defined the category, and they were the company that everyone emulated in this space. Is now basically struggling, if you read between the lines, because of what Amazon has done with the Echo, I believe. And so they're, they're having to look at their own selves in the mirror and say, what do we do? Do we want to create this type of capability? What's interesting here is I read that the actually one of the, their, their small speaker, the newest one, actually has, a, actually has in it a mic in it that hasn't been activated, which is kind of interesting, right? And this all brings me to the post I wrote this past week. And, I, and I've always wondered, because I've always wondered why Apple – didn't swoop in and buy Sonos because it's such a peanut butter and chocolate combination. It's just a perfect mix. Um, my main reason I believe it hasn't happened is that, is that a Sonos doesn't want to necessarily get acquired. I think John McFarlane has uh, independently wealthy. He's made a lot of money before he created this company. Um, and he, he's basically said he wants to create a giant and uh, longstanding company, a, a kind of an iconic brand in connected entertainment. And that probably still is the case. But if you look at what Sonos does for Amazon in terms of filling, fulfilling a need, it actually automatically would give them an answer to Echo. Um, it would create a, uh, uh, an iconic product line for them, uh, wireless music streaming that would go so well with all of Amazon's, with all that Apple's doing with their music, with their music streaming. I really believe that the Sonos product could be a foundation for their, their smart home product line because it's inherently connected. There's some processing power in there. And they could obviously integrate uh, more compute power and and more connectivity into these devices. They can actually make one of these devices a hub. You can put a speaker on it to allow it to have voice recognition capabilities and allow Siri to take commands from people in different points of the house. I have have three different Sonos speakers in my house. Can you imagine if every one of these was voice-enabled? And could take voice commands. That's really interesting, right? Imagine if that was the case. So anyway, I, I just feel like that's something that would be really interesting to happen. It probably won't. It's fun to speculate about. I do think that Apple needs to do something with regards to its its broader connected home strategy. I think Sonos is going to invest heavily in here, but they're going to have a hard time keeping up with the Amazons of the world and even uh, Apple possibly with regards to voice recognition. 
um, and those types of technologies. They'll obviously need to do a partnership there. But why not fall into the comfortable arms of a big company like Apple? I, I, I just think their design aesthetics are similar. I feel like they just fit each other's needs so perfectly that it makes a lot of sense. Whether or not uh, John McFarlane would do that, that's probably the biggest hurdle to this type of deal. I think that Apple would be interested, most definitely. I would go so far as to guess that there's been conversations um, over the past decade between those two companies. Who knows how far they've gone, but they probably just stopped um, because Sonos has wanted to remain independent. But now that they're struggling a little bit, who knows? Maybe they'll consider it. And maybe uh, Apple would be willing to pay uh, a couple a couple beats. Uh, and, and here we define a beat as $3 billion because uh, that's what they paid for beats. Um, and I look at the beats acquisition and all I, what I see there is they got a brand. Uh, but I don't think they got much technology. I mean, really, they're... Their headphones and their music streaming, um, and I feel like Sonos has a lot of interesting core technology there that would be great for Apple. All right, that's it for now. That's my uh, those are my rambling observations on the broader connected home. Um, I hope you enjoyed those. They were pretty rambling, weren't they? Now into my conversation with Mike Wallace of the Perfect Company. Like I said, Mike's a super smart guy. He's a toy inventor by trade, really smart guy, um, and knows how to. Uh, sell products. He knows how to see market opportunities and, and go out for them. So if you are an entrepreneur in the connected device space, smart home space, uh, he's a good guy to listen to. So check him out. For those of you that do listen to the Smart Kitchen Show, this is actually the same interview uh, in that, as in that podcast. But in that podcast, I didn't talk about Apple or Amazon or Echo. That was special for this particular podcast. So just a little heads up. And if you do like this content, you might want to subscribe to the Smart Kitchen Show. You can find that over in iTunes. There's lots of great content there um, as well. We're, we're actually starting to do more interviews, more conversations around events and news, etc., as well as some of the storytelling format of the first season. All right, folks, that's it for now. Here's my conversation with Mike Wallace. Hey, well, I have Mike Wallace on the podcast today. And, Mike, you've never heard this joke. Uh, I just want to make sure that uh, everyone knows it's not Mike Wallace from 60 Minutes. That's completely original, right? Yeah, usually they bring up Morley Safer, not Mike Wallace. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, you're actually, I think, way more interesting, and you probably know a lot more about the stuff we want to talk about at the Housewares Show. We both had an opportunity to sit next to each other at the IoT dinner, and and I was I moseyed up to the bar, ordered some, some Zambuca, and we, we bonded over that. And you had never put water in your Zambuca. I have never watered down my Zambuca. It was <laughs> it was a revelation for me. I've had it flaming. I've had Opal Zambuca. I've had all kinds of Zambuca. I've never put water in it. What's well, so syrupy? It's like drinking syrup. Now I love the flavor of it, but it's so concentrated and thick that I just thought it no, better. I agree. In fact, I'm I'm going to do that from now on. It's a great trick. Thank you. So that's our tip. But we're actually getting together today on a podcast to go over the housework show. I love this show, by the way. This like this is a great show. It seems like it's perfect for you guys um, with your your efforts to recreate way people interact with with the bar, the smart bar, with uh, smart bake, etc. And we're yeah. going to talk about how you know what you guys are doing and, and an interesting announcement you guys had to the show. But I just want to ask you, what were some of the cool things you saw at Housewares? Um, well, I mean, I I've got to admit. Um, this my favorite thing is the same thing that was my favorite thing last year, but they improved it, and it's the pancake printer. By far, they they were putting photographs into the pancake printer this year, and I actually have a pancake with my face on it. I feel like three D food printing is going to be 
an amazing thing, and it's mainly going to be around presentation. Like, I don't feel like people are going to be, like, in third world countries printing food, <laughs> you know, in a way that, like, yeah. it's like this amazing thing that changes the life of the world. I think it's going to be great for restaurant presentation. I do, and I it could also just change the way we celebrate birthdays. Exactly. And it's one of the cool – it's not quite 3D printing, although it is. Have you seen the one that does the really cool, like, espresso foam heads, um, kind of the decorative – I've seen it on the internet. I've never seen one in person. I was, I'm, I'm a little bit bummed I didn't get to swing by and see that because I, I was in a rush. That was one of my. Was there, was there one at the show? I don't know. I, I'm talking about the pancake printer. I was oh, bummed I, oh, okay. I didn't have a chance to get by <laughs> to see that. Did you, did you spend, did you actually eat one of the pancakes? I, I did not. Um, um, our PR lady was so very kind and she took photos of all of us at the end of the show and had pancakes made. And sent photos to us so we could all change our profile picture on our Facebooks. Okay, wait a minute. You have a pancake representation of your face? Yes. Okay, that just completely blew my mind. And I'm, I'm like, that may change the world. That may change the world. You can, if you could do your face on a pancake. That's exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's going to change my world. So I wrote a, a, a post about the Housework Show, about some of the things I thought were really big things that help, that maybe could recreate the way we cook prep food. Um, but I preface all that by saying, you know, kind of connected devices are getting fairly commonplace at these shows. And it was no different here. I swung by Nespresso and saw their connected coffee maker. And, and I asked the guy, I said, you know, what can you do with this? And he, he's talking about how he could, you could schedule coffee and you could turn it on and off. And I'm like, you know, you could turn it on and off with the button on the top of the <laughs> coffee maker. So I wasn't there to see that type of stuff. So, I get it, and you know why a big company like Nespresso would do that, but it's still that, that to me wasn't the cool stuff at Housewares. Yeah, that felt more to me about replenishment than being connected and making sure you always had Nespresso coffee nearby. And they did have a, a subscription potential with the right. Nespresso, and that, that makes a lot of sense, and I think that's why Amazon Dash is so exciting for connected device makers, particularly if they have good relationship. Probably more exciting for CPG companies, like, right, you know, if you, if you have yeah. a coffee offering, and that's part, Nespresso is one of those fully integrated ecosystem plays where they have the device as well as the coffee. Um, but that's exactly right. You're right. It's like, okay, can I subscribe and have make sure the stuff is sent to me when I need more? Yeah. I mean, their business is a razor blade business, uh, a lot like SodaStream. Well, and that type of observation is exactly why I wanted to have you on the podcast because I don't know if people know this. Like, I, you were at the Smart Kitchen Summit, and one of the, I felt like one of the most enjoyable, uh, panels to listen to was yours. Partly because you've been out there battling and doing this, and I think you've uh, you have a really interesting background. You're a toy inventor, um, which I think just is, is cool to say you're a toy inventor. But actually, B one is really cool. And then you <laughs> you had this idea for this smart bar device. You were overseas, and like you, you had a conversation with someone, you, you couldn't get the drink made the way you wanted wanted it to, and then you went back and invented it, and then you had a you had a purchase order like six weeks later. Yeah, that's pretty much the way it worked. And I, I don't necessarily want to make this like the story of Mike Wallace and the origin story of, of <laughs> the origin story of Perfect Company, but I just wanted to mention that because it's it's so cool and your your observations are generally spot on. Um, so I want to ask you with that in mind about some of the other things I saw. So one of the categories I think rising up is this what I would call the the multi cooker. It's a little bit on the the robot cooking continuum. Like you know you have these guys trying to do these full cooking robots, but yeah. then there's ones that just are, are a little bit of a you put food in it and it kind of guides you through on a touchscreen. One of them was by a company called Gourmia. 
Yes, and I saw that. You did see it. Did you have a chance to kind of look at it and, and think about it? I did. Um, it, it felt a little bit – I'm trying to remember the name. There is a very famous multi-cooker that chops, dices, stirs, cooks, blends um, that I believe was made in Germany that a lot of people swear by. But you can't find it in the U.S. and it's like a $1,500 item. And so the Gourmia version just looked to me like a less expensive version of that of that multi-cooker. Um, you know, sort of slow cookers and multi-cookers. Multi-cookers are kind of on the high end of the slow cooker spectrum. Are I think it's the number three category for small appliances. So it's a very popular item, and most kitchens have some form of that. Um, yeah, and this what's I guess the new genre is the connected multi-cooker. And it, yeah. when I was talking to the gourmet person. They were positioning positioning it surprisingly to me as part of what they're going to call their new IoT cooking line, which I think makes sense if we're like talking industry to industry person, B2B conversation, right? But as yeah. a consumer-facing conversation, I don't know if that is what I would suggest because I feel like when we overplay the technology hand um, – it, especially for consumers, like that is not necessarily a way to drive sales. Yeah, if the, if it's the device you're talking about, which was right up front on the corner, yep, um, it's the one that had the pad, the display built into it. Yep, That's which it. I think I think is always a mistake to put something on a machine you could use for years that can be outdated in a year, which is something like a pad and software. And you wonder, I don't know the specifics, and to to be fair, we don't know enough about no. it. They may be able to kind of. To field upgrade it, I think it is based on Android. It and, is, but and the hardware is going to age over time. That is true. So we'll see about that. I, I think it's interesting category to watch as it gets connected. There's all sorts of design choices you can make, whether or not you put a, an embedded touchscreen on it or not. But this one, I think, is for sale for five ninety nine or six hundred bucks. I think it's going to be available in Q three. This company called Gourmia. Another thing, I I knew that I first saw them in a in a big way at a trade show at CES. I had never heard I had heard of them in late 2015, but that's because they launched then. They started selling their stuff around uh, the time we had the summit on Amazon, right? And they're literally coming out of nowhere. Apparently, they have money from a company, uh, a distributor in New York called Fesco Distributors. Just a little bit of info if people are interested. But it's like one of these companies. I think it's saying seeing an opportunity. In the kitchen space, because I think there's a lot of innovation. They're saying, let's create an entirely new company and be very forward-leaning with our products. Yeah, and you know, I, I have to tell you, they they definitely line up on one of the things I think is most important, which is price value. Um, they they understand retail. Uh, all of their items are, are basically less expensive than other items in the same category or close to the same price. So a lot of times you see smart connected stuff and it's very expensive and they aren't doing that at all. I mean, they had a $99 immersion cooker. So they definitely understand that side of the business. And that's one of the things you, you made a point about, and I've heard you talk about since then is the, the value of, of low price price points, particularly around impulse buys. And I think you specialize in getting below that $50 impulse buy, but there is a huge mental barrier um, around that hundred dollar price point, and if you could get below it, it's a huge thing. It, it is, and I, you know, the more expensive you get, the bigger the risk it, someone has to take to buy something and experiment because it's an experiment with a, with connected kitchen right now. And uh, boy, if you can if you can be in gift category uh, below a hundred dollars, even um, it's a much easier sell. One of the other things that excited me, and it was on my list to get there, and I didn't get there, 
so I was super bummed about that. It was probably the biggest miss for me because I, I just ran out of time. Uh, was the Panasonic induction oven? Uh, I don't know if you saw the announcement, but is the first that I know of countertop induction oven. I mean, there's been induction cooking around for a long time. Around you know, there's burners. Um, some of the new connected devices have induction burners on them as well. But this was the first induction oven I thought, and I've been watching with interest around consumer electronics companies and seeing how they're possibly looking at recreating the cooking boxes. So that's why I was, I've been intrigued by the Freescale now and NXP attempt to bring RF cooking into mm-hmm. some of these boxes. And so uh, from my understanding, there's some interesting conversations going on there. And I would expect next year we'll see some cooking box or oven with uh, RF cooking in it. And I'm not by RF, I don't mean microwave. But this one was maybe the biggest leap forward, I thought, from a just a core cooking technology standpoint I saw in an oven at the show. Yeah, I didn't get to see it. I did read about it some. And, uh, you know, one of the sort of holy grails for that for that type of thing is is re- to have very good temperature control and to be able to go through, through different cooking modes in one cycle. Um, I'm, I'm much, much like a steam oven does really cool stuff. So I'm kind of interested to see one when it comes out. And the price point to me was actually reasonable. I think they CNET had them at 600 bucks. You compare that to... I think the June oven, which is, you know, it's obviously tech forward leaning, yeah. but I think that's going to be around 1500, 2000, a much different category. Um, so 600 bucks, I think is like a good starting point, uh, for a new type of technology. No, I totally agree. And it was a countertop oven, right? It was a countertop. Yeah. Um, you know, especially for people that live in small apartments or don't have room to put large appliances in their kitchen. Um, that could definitely be a, everyone I know in Hong Kong, uh, cooks on their countertop. <laughs> Just because of the space constraints, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the things I think when I've been thinking about housewares and these small t- countertop cooking appliances, I think there's more room to move quickly in the on the countertop versus built in. And that's why. And when you think about that, you think about overseas markets, but also urban environments and millennials. And you, and I I do know some of the research we've done, and just talking to a lot of folks, millennials are much more. Uh, willing, I think, at this point to experiment with cooking. Um, and it seems like, at least there's this belief that a lot of them are staying home and, and cooking, but I think that they're just definitely willing to experiment like with new cooking devices. And I think, you know, sous vide, that plays well for sous vide. I think it probably plays well for your product. And I think something like this as well, if it falls in the right price point for them. It does. Um, you know, they're, they're in an age range that grew up using this type of technology. So they're comfortable with it to begin with. Um, also, I just think um, most smart kitchen plays are going to take place with smaller appliances. Large appliances don't have that kind of turnover. If you're renting, somebody else made the decision what went in. If you bought something that was already built, um, and so large connected large appliances is a much slower, long lead time uh, play for the connected kitchen. That's a great point on turnovers. I mean, traditional turnovers for built-in ovens that's ten years, and most white goods are ten years that they're built in. Yeah. Just on, and I think over time you could see the turnover, uh, cycle increase a little bit. Um, but I did, and cause you've seen a little bit of that in TVs, which have been traditionally big ticket purchases as, as connected TVs have come in. But I don't think it's going to accelerate that, that much. Agreed. So I want to th- throw an idea by you, um, and see if you think this, what do you think this category is? I, when I wrote about it, I, called them guided cooking systems and i felt like there's a, a few of them i saw at the show i don't know if you had a chance uh, to stop by the heston 
side. I, they were Heston was one of the a couple of folks who were at our IoT dinner. They were both at, but they had yeah. this product called the Heston Q. They invited me at the dinner to come by, so I saw stopped by uh, this Tuesday morning, and I had a chance to cook uh, this amazing salmon using. <laughs> you know, and, and by I'm just to let you know, I'm not a great cook. Like I, I'm, I'm serviceable. I can feed my kids so they're not starving, but I fish is particularly hard too. And so they had this combination of a uh, an induction burner, basically kind of a, a round one, um, and then a sensor pan, a sensor based pan had Bluetooth in it, right? And then a, a connected app, um, and these are all working in concert. Now, stepping back and putting context around this, as if, if you're you were at the summit, you probably heard a few people allude to this idea of, you know, connected kitchen can be like a GPS for the, the cook. And I think that's a good more metaphor. Um, and I think it's, it has a wide range to this metaphor, right? So it could be anything like what you're doing with your um, connected bar appliance, a scale, an app where you're guiding people through making a drink. It could be an app. It could be uh, something like a sous vide cooker that's connected. Or it could be like a full range or system. And I, and when I say system, it's, it's a fairly comprehensive thing where they have an induction cooker, they have this pan, they have the app that guides you through and you produce professional or chef like results. So I feel like this is a rising category. It's part of a theme that I've talked about before is this idea of, you know, augmented expertise. Um, so I don't know if you've seen some of these connected cooking systems like this, or the, I think the Aliso is another one. Yeah. Um, I think you may have sat across from, uh, uh, from Holger Henke, who's the CEO yeah. of Cucinali. They had another one called Intelligent Cooktop that I had a chance. He made me some risotto. What do you think of this idea where they're developing these systems with the, with a burner, maybe a connected pan, and an app that guides you through the experience? Is that a new category? Um, I think it's the evolution of a category. Um, and I'm not, you know, it's uh, a few years ago there were all kinds of stirring cookers with induction induction cooking. Yeah. Um, Kenwood did a mixer. That had an induction, and, and the big thing was you could make perfect risotto, and I get that. The, the question becomes very quickly, what other things can you make? Because um, there's always some items that demo well, but how is it in sort of everyday life when you want to eat something beyond salmon? And that's why I think I think if it's modular and it grows, that's, yeah. that's important, right? So I think one of the, the characteristics, at least with the, the Hessian Q that I think is interesting, is they have a pan, and then they also have a deep pot. Um, that they have indicated they'll allow you to do steam-based cooking. So uh, basically a replacement for a, f- a replacement for sous vide water baths. Right. And other things. And so I think if you can modularize it and make it like a, a system where you can do a, a wide range of stuff, that becomes really interesting to me. It does. It does. I agree. And I think, you know, the interesting thing, that splits into two markets. So there's the market where people – don't know how to cook or don't aren't aren't really uh, accomplished cooks and and so this this augmented concept i think works really well for them but the other market are people who believe they know how to cook um and how do you sell them and that's sort of the interesting you know question in this marketplace it's uh it's probably a stronger story um to people who want to cook better well what i liked about this and i'm just kind of talking about the experience more of cooking the salmon yeah was i liked that it felt like it guided me through to where I could produce really good salmon, 
But the, the app was so new. This is hard to explain on a podcast, but the app and the experience was so that I felt like I could dial back the guidance as I got better. So oh, cool. there could be the ability to make really good food. And as I got more comfortable, the kind of the, um, you know, the, the net under, underneath my, my high wire act, um, could be reduced or, 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 you know, I basically, I wouldn't need as much guidance and help. And I, yeah. and I think that's important. I think that's a really important concept because I, I think these solutions have to, um, and I've said this a few times, have to really, they, they also have to augment your workflow in the kitchen. They can't get in the way. So if there's a way to dial that back once you become more comfortable with the recipe or the way everything works, I think that's a big plus. Well, let's talk a little bit about what you guys had to announce because this is, a, I think, indication of a really interesting trend. Um, you had a deal with Absolute Vodka. And I know that Absolute has tiptoed a little bit into the world of IoT before this announcement. But first, tell us about what the announcement is, and this I want to I want to break it down a little bit. So, what what did you what's this announcement with Absolute? Well, we basically announced a partnership. Um, so, Perfect Drink, our original product launched three years ago, um, uh, is sort of it's it's been our, our best selling product, and we've been talking talking to Pernod Ricard, which is Absolute Vodka. For I don't know, maybe the last six months, and and um, and sort of talking about this concept of a connected bar and what that would be, sort of the bar of the future uh, at home, and they got really excited about this, and and we've created we've created this partnership to try to push this forward, you know, one more level, and uh, they're a huge company with incredible marketing, which is going to help us a lot, and we have a really, I think, fun, interesting product that that helps them on their side as well. So there's a lot of advantages, I think, that a product like yours can bring a company like Absolute. So let's, for people who don't yeah. know, I want to explain what it is. It's, and I'm going to mess it up and you could correct me, <laughs> but it's a, it's an, it's a scale with associated app that allows you pretty precisely to mix drinks. And, and it's a very visual based system. It's like kind of like the idea of visual doneness with the, some of these cooking apps. Um, in terms of like, you just see, oh, that, I see that, that, that's hitting as much alcohol as I want. It get, so it, it allows you to pour alcohol and mix it, and it's a visual guidance system in a sense. Um, and you get really good drinks. Um, did I, I, I probably messed that up. <laughs> Why don't I just have you exp- give your 30 second elevator pitch? Well, the 30 second elevator pitch is most people don't know many good recipes, if any at all for mixed drinks, nor do they know really the proper technique or ratios to pour them and, and mix them. And so this app really guides you through. It's a lot of fun. It comes with hundreds of recipes. And thanks to Absolute, we're about to multiply that to thousands of recipes. Um, and that's that's really what it's about. It's you know the the, the products had incredible word of mouth um, because we're we're definitely not a great marketing company at this point. Uh, but it, it it's driven incredible word of mouth uh, because it's fun when people see it, they want to try it. And we've definitely sort of tapped into a market, which is people want to be able to do this at home and be successful. You guys, guys, by the way, aren't, haven't been trying to market, I think, that much. You just like, <laughs> but you're, but you're Mike, you're the guy that Alc Baldwin love in, in, uh, Glenn Gary Ross, cause you get coffee, cause you, you, you walk into rooms and get deals. You're a closer. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's important. And, but I think you're amping up your marketing. Obviously a deal with, uh, with we are. absolute doesn't hurt but what i see the advantage of a deal like this for absolute is these companies probably never have had any visibility really in what people are mixing in their homes they know that they're selling stuff they could do surveys 
Um, but like this actually gives them almost like really granular information and then they can aggregate it knowing what people are using and mixing in their home. Yeah. Um, there is no data on what people make in their homes. Um, you know, Absolute or any other uh, spirit company really has no insight into what people are doing at home. Um, and then, you know, their other problem is somebody buys a bottle of their product and take it home and don't really know what to do with it, how to be successful so they come back and buy more. Um, and, and a lot of this is with the brands is they want people to be very successful when they use their product. When they consume absolute vodka, they want them to make great drinks so they'll go back and buy more. So how is this going to crystallize in the marketplace in terms of what this looks like from a consumer standpoint? Do I go and buy an absolute, some absolute? And then it has a coupon to get a mixer, or is there going to be packaged, kind of packaged mixes at the at the retail? What does this look like? No, it's probably there. There may be some bottles packaged with our product with scales. We're also working on a new form factor, uh, which you saw early um, at the IoT dinner. That we'll probably do an announcement uh, later this year um, that makes it very portable and very brandable for brands. Um, and you know that. Uh, there's a big sort of sh- shift in marketing, and it's about uh, being able to connect with consumers when they have intent, when they're actually doing something. And we're really the perfect example of that. Um, um, right now, almost uh, a third of our users keep track of what they have at home uh, by putting uh, their home inventory into the app so they know what they can make. And then there's a shopping list, and we see them planning for parties every weekend and creating a shopping list and going and buying product. And so, you know, that cycle is a, is a really valuable cycle to be at the middle of, which is where we, we live. And so this is very interesting to, to any major company because we, we have some, we, we have some idea what people, um, have at home. Um, we know what they're, you know, we have some idea what they're making in aggregate and we have the opportunity when they go shopping to make suggestions or even suggest drinks that they may, may not have thought of based on what they've drank before. So it's, it's just a real direct, a, a lot of, you know, millennials are connecting with brands through their mobile devices. And so this is just one more version of that. I like this. I know that IoT or excuse me, CPG companies, consumer packaging yeah. companies like Absolute, people that make things we consume are intrigued and excited about the IoT. They're intrigued and excited about smart kitchen and smart home, but they don't know what to do. I mean, and I think kind of the, the and, and naturally this is probably a good start is to maybe do like a dash integration with Amazon or something like that. Sure. But this one is just interesting because I think it's innovative. And I think it tells me at least that um, Absolute is like being a little more forward-leaning than I think a lot of the other package good companies, the consumable companies I'm seeing out there? I, I think so. Um, I mean, obviously, their their packaging and their marketing is first rate, but uh, they really think about digital in a big way. And, you know, when we go out and talk to them in Stockholm, uh, we meet with their digital team, and it's really fascinating to see what they're thinking, uh, what they'd like to be able to do. Um, they're, you know, they're very much into that space and, and want to innovate there. Last thing I want to talk about is just more broadly the smart bar. You yeah. said you, you kind of threw down the gauntlet at the Smart Kitchen Summit <laughs> and said Smart Bar is not talked about enough. It's underserved. And I've, I've kind of believed that now. I'm excited about it. And I think partly it's this idea that um, I think there's less market friction towards consumers buying something that will mix liquor. Um, uh, there's less kind of issues with just replacement cycles. It is something that could be an impulse buy. And it's it's a, a party – It's a, 
It's a good, it's a good talk about party thing, right? You could put this in your house, something like yours or even like the Soma bar and people want to talk about it. It's, it's exciting. It is. Well, it's, it's always the middle of a party. Um, I mean, as soon as you, you bring it out and set the bottles out, it sort of, it sort of becomes the fuel of the party, which is fantastic. And, um, it's true. I, I think, I think there's a lot less, um, to overcome to get into the connected bar right now than there is the connected kitchen. Uh, most people, like I said, don't know how to make drinks. I think building a home bar is still in the top 10 for home improvement. Um, so I was at Total Wine a few months ago giving demos and everybody who bought a scale had basically built a home bar and wanted to make this the center of it. Um, so it's, it's just a great, I think it's a great spot. It's a great first mover. And our thinking is once people get used to this in the bar, then it's easy to have that conversation about the kitchen as well. Hey, well, Mike Walsh, thank you for spending time with me. You, people don't know this, but you've been imp- incredibly patient this morning as I've had Skype <laughs> issues. We finally got our act together. At least I did. And, uh, I appreciate you taking time, particularly after a grueling show in Chicago, grueling in that I think you, you spent a lot of time there probably were talking to a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, I, I came home and slept for 20 hours. I'm, I feel so much better now. I haven't slept for 20 hours since I was maybe in, in college. So that's, that's impressive. So. Oh yeah, it was great. I feel so much better. All right, man. Get up, get caught up on your sleep. And we'll talk to you again. Thank you, Michael. Well, that was it. I hope you enjoyed that. I know I like talking to Mike. I feel like he's a super smart guy and always learn something. Hope you did as well. If you're going out to Austin or if you're already there for South by Southwest, I hope to see you at my party. If not, hopefully we'll have a good podcast with my friend Richard Gunther next week for you to listen to. All right, folks, we'll talk to you soon.